You're listening to another episode of the Niagara Moon podcast. I'm Thomas Irwin. And this is a different kind of episode. Uh, this is the third installment of my little chatting with a fan series. This is always a big treat for me. Basically, uh, just particular moon dogs out there who just really enjoy the music, really get into it. And of course, we, you know, build a little bit of a connection online. Uh, I'm out there doing the, the different stuff I do, but it's always, you know, an extra level of cool when uh, you get to meet the person, or at least virtually, because of course, it's still the uh, pandemic and all that. Uh, but one such lovely moon dog, Bo who's been a listener for quite a while, and he uh, always checks out the live streams and just been a really great fan to have. I thought it'd be really cool to have him on for an episode, and we get to hang out a bit. He's a very interesting guy. Uh, Bo has, uh, he's got a family out in St. Louis, uh, but he's, he's originally from Alabama slash Germany. Uh, he kind of grew up with a foot in two different worlds. Uh, he's an avid writer, just very scholarly. Uh, part of his secret, apparently, is he uh, does not sleep like you or I. We get we get into that, but uh, just a huge fan of music all across the board. I, I I could probably learn a lot from him. He he knows them all. He's he's very knowledgeable on all things uh, vintage pop music uh, and much else. Just a very cultured individual, this Bo. So Bo and I got to chat for a while, and I'll just share that with you now. Enjoy. So do you find yourself on Zoom a lot these days? Because you, again, I was saying this right before we started recording, you have the perfect background for, like, you look like you're ready to go on CNN. It's it's so photogenic, your, your three shelves with all the different colors of, 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 uh, of books there. It looks like it might have been coordinated, but it just happens to be in my room. How many books do you have total, do you think? Let's see. I probably have close to 3,000 my spouse probably has somewhere between two and 3,000. And then however many comics I have, probably in the thousands, I'm not sure. And are you able to pretty much keep them all on display? There's a place for all of them or? We're both running out of space. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine, yeah. But yeah, for the most part, I, I've had to shift some things around and every now and then we're, we're not planning to expand our libraries too much. What we do is sell our books back when they start to clutter. If we want more books, we have to make some hard choices. Okay. So you're able to cycle through. That's pretty good. We don't have um, the space for more, really. So that's that's the option is reselling. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, did you ever think of becoming a librarian? No. Uh, I've weirdly dated a lot of librarians my, my whole life. Friends with and have dated librarians. So I've been surrounded by library sciences, but it's never really occurred to me as a thing right. to do. Right. It's kind of more like you're a, you're a fan of it rather than you wanted to, to do it yourself. Um, I, I used to read all the time as a kid, and I was at the library all the time. And then at some point that kind of fell off, I think probably in, in favor of focusing more on, on music. Um, and I've gotten back into it a little bit during... Um, the quarantine but it is it is the kind of thing where if i really just gave myself over to it you know like how people could just play video games all day i feel like if i really decided to get into books there's so many choices it's so immersive you could just just go right mm -hmm. i read a couple hundred pages of 
usually fiction a day. It's not necessarily something I always want to do, but it's a necessary evil because I can't write unless I'm reading. Mm. That's very Stephen King of you. On some level, I can't read unless I'm writing, so they go hand in hand. I want to do one or the other at all times, but to do one, the other one has to be done. And this is kind of a pedestrian question, maybe, but what do you uh, enjoy writing about usually? What's your what's your go-tos? I tend to write in the absurdist, modernist mode, uh, often with some, let's say, Southern Gothic tinges. I like uh, American history, Western history specifically. Mm. West in the sense of the Old West and not in the sense of the Occident, but just weaving that into my writing. Appalachian settings, usually. I grew up in agrarian Appalachia, so it's hard to write about other things. Yeah, so which, that that was definitely uh, something else I was curious about. So you grew, did you grow up in like one place mainly? And I, I feel like I, I read Mississippi at some point, or were you, did you move around a lot? But just in that general area of the of the country, or? I was born in Alabama, and I could start quoting some Alabama lyrics right now <laughs> to go with that, but I won't. Uh, then I moved from there to Germany. Well, actually, first I moved to South Carolina, and I was in South Carolina for a year or two. And then I was in Germany, let's see, from, from the age of three until the age of seven. And then I moved back to the States and moved back to Alabama, and I was there for another 10 or so years. And then once I got to college, it was just back and forth between Germany and uh, the States for a while. So I spent about a fifth of my life in Germany. Uh Parents with the military in some capacity, or yeah. Uh, first, first stepfather was in the military, and my mother was a school teacher, but tended to teach at military schools. Mix of uh, academia and military growing up. Also farming. I, I grew up on a farm when I came back after I left Germany. Uh, wow. I was pretty much in Germany for my formative years, so that's why I never really picked up the Alabama accent. I, tried i tried when i came back because i was immediately ostracized for the way i talked right they thought you're a damn yankee right yeah so i I tried to put on i tried to put on an accent and i also tried to say no this is just the generic military slash this is the 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 army base accent this isn't necessarily i don't know new england (laughs) Mm. it's it's too flat for that yeah i've come to understand my own accent in new england it's definitely not standard broadcaster level there there are some still some weird things about how i might pronounce some words but uh did, so does this mean you speak german pretty much as well yes uh my uh spouse and i we both met in grad school we, we went to wash U. we were in the doctoral program there and she was actually born in germany so uh her, her upbringing is similar to mine she was in a military family so i, I think that happens a lot i think a lot of Kids spend their formative years in Germany and they go back and something draws them back to it uh, later in life. I, I think they just feel like some piece of them is missing and the only way to fill it is mm. uh, with the integration of Germania. Right. I mean, if you spent so much time there in your formative years, and I'm also trying to picture two places more different from each other than Alabama and Germany. That must have been a culture shock, to say the least, navigating those two places. It's it's a culture shock every single time you go back and forth from one to the other. So it takes time to get used to not being in one. And it's it's a culture shock now, too, even uh, when I 
return to visit my family. I live in St. Louis now. So that's also fairly different. Yeah, Midwest. Gateway to the West, I think they call it. The arch itself is the gateway. Okay. Yeah, I like that. And how did you end up in St. Louis? How long have you been out there? Grad school. But music was a big part of it. I, uh, mm. I, was, I was enamored of, specifically of ragtime and of uh, Thomas Turpin. I, I'm, not, I'm not familiar, but I, I have the understanding, like in the early 20th century, St. Louis was pretty happening culturally. They had a real peak for a while mm-hmm. with a lot of that uh, Ameri- Americana music. How are you? So it seems like you know every musical artist there is to know, at least you know from like a certain generation, maybe. But uh, how do you stay so scholarly and, and knowledgeable with with uh, all the different artists you appreciate? Are you how, how do you like seek out new music or fun, discover older music? Or it's always something that impresses me. It kind of cuts off. I, I think after about nineteen ninety five. I stopped looking forward and started looking backward. So mm. I think that I, uh, I found an era I liked, let's say the mid to late 60s, and I did a deep dive there. Mm. That's a pretty popular one. Yeah, like, so um, I went to the same place as most people would go. Nuggets, and from Nuggets, Pebbles, which mm. is another. It's, it's, like the, uh, more, it's, it's like the expanded indie Nuggets. It just keeps going, right? There's all you start with kind of the mainstays of certain genres or, you know, more well known or influential artists, yeah, especially the sixties, but then it's like, oh, but this musician like this artist and they're kinda really they have a small following, but they're they're critically acclaimed and then subsets of that and sub subsets, it just keeps going and going, right? Like And and the internet really was was a real help there because I didn't know anyone really outside of a few people I met in college who liked a lot of the same things I liked. So a, a lot of it was lonely internet digging. So just clicking on the, uh, the music version of Goodreads to see similar mm. artists. And- yeah, no, that, that takes me back, especially to uh, middle school. I'll, I'll sometimes say that was the period of me just trying to take everything out from the library because I didn't have that much of an allowance. It wasn't like I was going to buy 20 CDs a week. Um, and just, uh, yeah, like the, the further you go and you discover all this pretty impactful music and kind of these, these hidden gems and art. But, um, if you're not going to music school or something, you're probably not going to have an immediate peer group to, uh, to, to share all this stuff with, Never mind if you're moving back and forth between two continents. You want to believe as you start to specialize, let's say in grad school, that you're going to be meeting people with like cultural mindset, but you're not. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, you know it is nice. It's nice to know that no matter where you go, and no matter how specialized your studies get, that you're going to be around people whose uh, entertainment longings differ from yours significantly. It also meant that if uh, you know, I'd make a new friend and find out that their musical musical tastes were nothing like mine, and you know, we would share a few things, and I would say, "Here's a thing I like," and he or she would say, "Here's a thing I like," and I could often find a little something there, but usually it was, it was just a kind of passive acknowledgement of what they like as being what they like, and nothing that I could ever uh, truly like myself. Interesting. I, I guess I have a little different of an experience there, where 
there's like a few key friends I've met along the way where a big chunk of my tastes are artists that I really got into. It did come from them. Like I was ready to, we'd have to get to a certain point where we're speaking a common language, you know, and, and they they would have other musical interests that I wouldn't connect with, but I, there would be some big chunks, like, you know, a big part of my, uh, taste in Japanese music and current Japanese artists is just a particular roommate I had, uh, who was just in the know. Um, but so that's the case that you've never really quite, somebody else, uh, hasn't gone through all the same, uh, bands. It's more like passing chips in the night or. Uh, I, I did, I, I did meet some friends, but I think that really, uh, message boards is where I started meeting people uh, whose tastes align with mine more, uh, frequently. Musingly, my, my spouse and I, we have, we share a lot of, uh, similar interests, but our sub-interests within those interests differ or diverge. So for example, we both, we both did utopian studies. Hers was more from an optimistic end and mine was more from a pessimistic end. So we had, we had some texts that were the same. Uh, and we were, when we were deciding who gets to keep what, when, when we merged, uh, sometimes it would just depend on which of us felt more of a connection to a specific book. Okay. Yeah. When, when you're really having a, Narrow down your collection some. Uh, is that like a, always a gut wrenching process for you, or it's a little bit because it means I have to get rid of this book, but it also means that you know, I have room for another book. Mm. And had I my druthers, I'd keep all of my books, and like the entire house would become my my bookshelf. <laughs> do you do you ever think about that guy from the the Twilight Zone? Yes, yes, very. We, we both. He, the world ends, but then he can read all the books in the world, but then he breaks his glasses, if anybody isn't familiar. Yeah. Burgess Meredith. Oh, that's him. Okay. And you, it sounds like you earnestly read pretty much everything in your collection, because I know a lot of people where they, they feel good about supporting the author, and then aesthetically, it's a nice looking book and that to have in the collection but it's not ne- they're never necessarily going to find the time to read and, and appreciate it it more it just kind of becomes a totem but i i get the feeling you've really everything i'm seeing behind you you've you've uh, gone through at least once not necessarily i do have a lot of books that uh, speaking of supporting the author if I, if I like an author i might buy another book from that author and intend to get to that book at some point so uh on some level every Every book on my shelf has a good intention, or is is thing is is a thing I mm. expect to read at some point. But no, I've I've read at least some of everything I have. That's that's all just a side effect of like again academia. So and uh, insomnia. So I, I sleep about twenty eight hours a week. Oh my! And uh, which is good. It's it's better than it was. Uh, at my worst, I slept about fifteen hours a week. I can't imagine. Wow. Reading helped fill that time. Reading and puzzles. I, I do a lot of puzzles. Yeah. What what kind of puzzles? Like uh, logic, Sudoku? Mostly mostly logic puzzles of some kind. So I, I do Hashi, uh, a lot of cubing. I do a lot of... Uh, I try to do some speed solving now. I, I do a lot of 15 puzzle and 8 puzzle speed solving. You know, the sliding puzzles. Uh, Sudoku also, and nonograms I do uh, fairly frequently, just to keep keep my mind active and to just try to stay engaged. Sometimes I 
need them to calm down, they, they can help me. Yeah. I mean, that's how a lot of people use them is it's just kind of a therapeutic, like you get into a certain sort of restful state as you are engaged in it, like you have a, a thing to focus on that's kind of relaxing. And then just generic logic puzzles, like you would find uh, the fill in the dot kind of logic puzzles where you try to figure out who did what in what room with whom. Oh, yeah, that, that, that'd be fun. I could see doing that in a car or something. So the, the struggling with sleep, that's been a, a lifelong thing for you? I was hit by a van, a German postal van, when I was seven. And I was in the hospital for, um, let's say, I was in the hospital for, I think, about four months. And I was immobile for about six. That is where the trouble sleeping started. Mm. It got progressively worse. And uh, at this point, I just consider the little sleep I get to be normal. And it's only abnormal when it gets to be below a certain point. I'm also, uh, I'm also neurodivergent and have obsessive compulsive disorder. And these might feed into it somewhat. I'm not entirely sure. And that that could be separate from the accident or the, the effects of the accident. Yeah. There's no real way to tell how things would be different if I hadn't had the accident. But. Yeah. Would, would that be the domain of like uh, neurology? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that gets... So I, I worked at a neurology clinic in the past. That kind of stuff gets very complex very fast. It's nothing I'm I'm knowledgeable on. But I mean, in, in a certain way, it's... I hear how little you, quote unquote, have to sleep... So even in 28 hours a week, which if, if that's comfortable for you, that's, I can't imagine having all that extra time myself. I find ways to fill it. Yeah. I also do a little gaming, a little, uh, right now I'm doing Dune memes. I don't know if you... Uh, Dune memes? Memes, yes. Memes built around Dune. More specifically, uh, the David Lynch slash Alan Smithy Dune. Facebook group called Dune Siege Posting. So that's that is one way that I while away the working day while my kids at school. I she's also neurodivergent, so I have to I have to keep her focused throughout the day. So Mm. my day is really her day, and while while I'm waiting for her to get through her class, I will often make a Dune meme. Is uh, is this in advance of the movie coming out with Timothy Chalamet or however you say his name? How do how do you feel about that movie coming out, the new Dune movie? Curious to see it. I, I think that a lot of uh, a lot of what I love about the David Lynch Dune is the same as what a lot of the other people there love, and that's just its weirdness. It's uh, it's also nostalgia for me. I think. Uh, in the wake right, of like early eighties, in the wake of the yeah. first Star Wars trilogy, people were looking for anything somewhat Star Wars like, and they wanted something to fill the void. And Dune was there, and I think the studio wanted it to be Star Wars, and it very much was not. Yeah, because I mean, they hired David Lynch, which is a red flag if you're trying to get him to conform to a certain type of movie. Now, did so. Is music the same way for you as books? Like uh, I'm, I'm picturing a, a vinyl collection somewhere. Where am I off base? I do have a small, small vinyl collection, but it's mostly records of my youth and pilfered records from my first, sep- 
first stepfather and my mother, they at some point no longer had a record player. So I just pulled their collection into mine. Uh, for me, I was, I, I came up in the time of the CD uh, or at least when the uh, cassettes were big for me when I was uh, up until I was my early teens. And then it's, it's a long story, but my father bought me some CDs and uh, I didn't live with him and he didn't really know what I wanted or what I liked. So he would call me and he would try to, he would try to suss out certain things for, for birthdays and mm. Christmas. And he'd start asking me what I, what kind of thing I liked. What, what I was into and I would tell him, uh, but he had more money than my family and he had access to more technology than we did. So he would often buy things in a format that I couldn't play. I got the Blind Melon album and the Duran Duran album and uh, on CD and I had no way to play them. So they just sat on my shelf for several months until my mother called my father angrily and said, you know, you can't play these and we can't afford a CD player. <laughs> So for Christmas that year from him, I got a CD player I was able to do. And he, he, did, the, he, did, this was, he did this very thing three different times. Uh, when I was eight, he asked me what video games I'd like to play. And I told him Super Mario Brothers 2 and Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Ooh, great taste. He bought me those two games, uh, but I didn't have, I didn't have a Nintendo. <sighs> then you know, I was playing them at friends' houses or we were renting. I, I don't know if they still do this, but... Well, I guess there aren't many video stores, but back in the day, kids would have to sometimes rent the actual console to be able to play the games. Well, imagine entrusting people to borrow consoles nowadays. I just I feel like that wouldn't work so much. Like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll get a Switch. See you later. And then years later, he uh, bought me Lawrence of Arabia on DVD, and I didn't have a DVD player. So, so you were always a medium behind for a while there. I think that may be still the case. I guess, I guess uh, getting back to my, my suspicions about vinyl, are you normally listening to music now just like on Spotify or what, what's your uh, medium of choice? Really probably YouTube. There is Spotify, but I, I used to just listen to the radio, but we don't go anywhere anymore thanks to the pandemic. So yeah. that's we have some nice uh, indie stations here in St. Louis. No, I, I, I just go to YouTube and I type in the thing I want and I, I listen to it there. Well, you must have YouTube Red or something if you're not being driven insane with all their ads. So you just put up with the, uh, the commercials. I don't mind the commercials too much. Wow. I guess someone, someone out there has to not mind the commercials. <laughs> I, also, I also I did grow up in the 80s, so commercials are a part of my genetic structure. Mm. We didn't have yeah. I, I didn't have cable until uh until i was in college so. oh yeah I, I never had cable yeah just just six channels to choose from commercials just seem normal to me music wise my my youth culture was the nation's youth culture because i didn't really have a local music scene yeah in appalachian alabama no bluegrass going on at all or that kind of thing not really uh if, if i lived a little farther north maybe but no it was yeah. mostly just Mostly just kids trying to play what they heard on the radio. So at the time, mm. grunge. It was a lot of uh, a lot of plaid shirts, a lot of people trying to mime Nirvana, mm. other bands of that era. Big Stone Temple Pilot fans and Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. 
If you had had the internet as a kid, you know, looking for, for new stuff to get into, how much of a game changer would that have been? You came up almost from me, really, in an entirely different uh, generation and era of consuming culture. You know, it's... I think maybe my appreciation of it would be different. I, I think you know, if I had had at my fingertips what I have now, that maybe nothing would seem special because everything would would have fallen in my lap or I'd have yeah. access to everything. And I could, I could be wrong about that, but I, anytime I discover someone new, like say Niagara moon, uh, I, I, I think it's a real treat. I think it's uh, I, I know it's something I would have, I would not have had access to as a kid. And that makes it special in some, in some regard. Yeah. I mean, I, I take it you happen to find out, well, obviously, you discovered Niagara Moon online because I wasn't exactly touring around a bunch. Uh, yeah, how, how did you uh, find my music specifically? Facebook ad, I believe. Facebook ad, okay. Do you, do you find a lot of music on Facebook, or am I kind of a, a special case? Well, there have been a couple other bands, but I wonder, I don't know how, exactly how SEOs work, but I assume that maybe I was mined for my Facebook music likes. <laughs> so it was seen by some algorithm that I liked, Van Dyke Parks and Harry Nilsson and uh, Brian. Yeah, those are two of my; those are three of my uh, big touchstones. Yeah, well, I guess the algorithm served us very well in that case. I did have a little bit of uh, introduction to SEOs when I was uh, working. I used to write for a movie news website when I was, uh, let's say, probably about ten years ago. I wrote for a couple movie news websites and uh, because of that, and because occasionally the keys were given to me, I was taught how to try to optimize things for, for uh, viewership and uh, how to tag things appropriately and how not to tag things. And that's also, that's, that's often as important as correct tagging mm. is avoiding incorrect tagging. Going, yeah, going into the waters of, of metadata here. Um, well, maybe after this podcast, I'll get some tips on <laughs> on how to tag better, or your get your. Wait, how how long ago were you doing this uh, SEO testing stuff? From about 2010 to, to 2012, I was writing at the time for movie news websites, and I was also writing for a humor, an online humor magazine. So having had that experience and then it's maybe about 10 years later have you seen a big change in the internet do you feel i could i mean it sounds like you're on online a lot between youtube and and everything else do you do you feel a a weird shift in how people are accessing things um the biggest shift has been recent with people just being online all the time oh yeah post pandemic yeah Mm -hmm. of course i've noticed a shift in news source intake i think there's been a big shift in radicalized sites and in people going to those for their news. There are, there are sites now, and I find this amusing, there are sites that position themselves as being unbiased when clearly they do have a bias. They will, they will even announce their unbiasedness. The no spin zone. Yeah. And it goes back to that probably, but also too boring to talk, to talk about too much. So I <laughs> I don't know, though. The, the decentralization of news and information and just it's the Wild West of whatever generates the most revenue, never mind considering the standards of journalism. I don't find that too boring. That, that's kind of 
I guess that's terrifying in a boring way, maybe, but it's still terrifying. Yeah, people want to be told how to feel on some level. It's it's easier. Uh, it's easier to find someone you feel to be emotionally simpatico and uh, can let them do a lot of the work for you. So you, know, you find a news source you trust. I, I think of Roger Ebert's old tagline. I, the word trust was in there somewhere. I can't remember if it was trust Ebert or trust Roger Ebert, but this idea that you know, he built up a following that uh, he was a critic whose writing was trustworthy or you, you, you could find a critic whose ideas aligned with your own and then you would just kind of stick with them. You would know which critic to go to to like, figure out which movies to go watch. You know, we didn't all have unlimited funds. So, and, and maybe some of that kind of thinking is spilled over into the news. You, uh, well, that's a problem between, uh, you know, you, maybe you can do that for movie critique, but when you're trying to assess objective information, then it, it gets a little dicey. Yeah. People just want their worldview affirmed. People also There's, just want entertainment. And yeah. if they can have their news also be entertainment, then that makes their lives a little bit easier. In theory, I don't. I think it's stressing a lot of people out, <laughs> whether they know it or not. Let's put easier in scare quotes then. More, more exciting. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I like hearing secondhand news from like fifty different sources, and then kind of assessing it based on that. I like seeing what maybe fifty different things are saying, and then I can judge what's going on based off of that that mix that tally uh you know it's it's pretty hard to put all your eggs in one basket i I don't necessarily like being news literate i've never really wanted to follow politics and i've never really liked following politics but as i've gotten older i've realized on some level it's necessary on some disgusting level yeah you should know what the world's doing or at least your town you know, local local stuff matters. But I don't know. By the time I would own a house, I'm probably kind of curious what a what a select board is, what that word means, <laughs> and that kind of thing. I do have the benefit, I, I think, of and and you probably also have this of being able to uh, read foreign news sources. I, I'm, I'm able to read the German press, uh, as yeah. you're probably able to read Japanese press. Yeah, see see how Japanese people are are thinking or talking about an issue. Like, finally get a perspective that has nothing to do with American media. It's kind of interesting. So, nothing to do with American media necessarily, but often to do with America, which yes is sad and a bummer. It's it's a bummer that very often we are everybody's looking to us. We are the news. Yeah, and usually not for a good reason. Yeah, it's very rarely, it's very rarely the case that countries are saying, "Man, I'm loving what America's doing." Although I think we're we're crushing it with the vaccine rollout. I think that's something to brag about. I'm liking that that trend. Anything that returns us to I, I wouldn't say normalcy, but allows us to go back into the world, I think, is a good thing. Mm. Because we do need more human interaction than we're getting, probably. Yeah, I think that's very <laughs> a safe safe thing to say at this point. Where my Alabama family is getting all of its interaction. I I, I don't think that they have tried very hard to. So. They haven't yeah. skipped a beat. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's and it's, the story is so different between urban communities and rural, really. <sighs> yeah, I think the last year has uh, thrown everybody for a loop, to say the least. And when, when people can finally mingle again, I, there's going to be a lot of excitement. I think it's really going to be palpable by the time people truly feel comfortable in any sort of setting, really, you know, grouping together, getting close to each other. It's going to... I don't know what it's going to mean for uh, for music and shows, but I think I think it's going to be a pretty intense energy. So, uh, well, I'm I'm very flattered to have you as a Niagara Moon fan. I we haven't made just depending on how explicit I make that in the uh, the intro for this podcast. You're uh, you're you're often checking out the live streams. Um, you're a, you're a very attentive listener, so it's it's been great to have you in the fold. And I'm I'm wondering what. Uh, well, you mentioned that you're a big fan of uh, Harry Nilsson, Van Dyke Parks, uh, Brian Wilson. So what what kind of about what I'm doing, my sound, maybe my aesthetic, what, what do you think I'm, I'm tapping into? I'm, I'm always curious to, to get feedback from the, the listeners. I could cop out and say the sound. Yes. Well, there that is a big component. Absolutely. No, no. I, I, uh, I think that anyone who embraces the excesses of, let's say, Baroque rock, will tap into something similar, if not exactly similar. Uh, maybe playfulness in terms of instrumentation. I guess in your case, a lot of it's uh, keyboard-based. You could say a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> more and more these days. When I was making terrible music, yours isn't terrible, but when I was, when I was say, in my early 20s and needing some kind of a musical outlet, I, uh, I really leaned heavily on my keyboard's different settings. <laughs> like little worlds in there you know it's it there's not one sound a, key, a keyboard i just love how it's you can go anywhere really if you have the right i wanted to have i wanted to have certain sounds i wanted to have banjo i wanted to have yeah i wanted to have both electric and acoustic guitar i wanted to have uh various keyboard settings and in terms of what you're tapping into it doesn't necessarily all revolve around the sound i think a lot of it is uh there's a joy i i think that there are some bands that embrace a kind of joy um, and not just unadulterated joy. There, there's a little tint of darkness there, which always I can always appreciate. There's, it's always nice to have a dark undertone running through the joy. Yeah, that's a, a Nielsen trademark, come to think of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's very Nielsen. There's some abstraction in sound. And that's a, that's a, I'd say that's a Van Dyke Parks trademark. I, I think... For Van Dyke Parks, what I really like is his production. I really like some of his orchestrations. He's a genius at it, his string arrangements. and It's often strange and off-putting at first. I think that when people say first hear Van Dyke Parks, they might come away thinking it's kind of hokey. I, I couldn't make any sense of song cycle the first couple of times. But then it's it's weird how it just it ends up clicking once you're in, but then I also don't... It needs to be for me to recommend something like that. I feel like it needs to be filtered down. Like that's, it's it's too strong just on its own. But it, it has a lot of ideas I love. I think the first time I ever heard Song Cycle, I was immediately on board. Immediately on board, even though it was at times cacophonous. I, I think that the yeah. cacophony uh, filters down in your brain the more you listen to it, and you start hearing it from his producer's ear. And also, just having made music in the past, I, I think uh, when you're listening to your own stuff back. You layer in such a way as to uh, add onto your brain what's already there. 
the more you layer and the more familiar you are with what you already have, the less sometimes you realize how big the sounds get in. Uh, I've definitely run into that. Yep. <laughs> and I, I think that that's, that's definitely a thing with Van Dyke Parks is just sometimes the sound is very big and almost seems like white noise at first, but once you're uh, riding the sine wave, I don't mm. know, it does, like you said, click into place. Uh, oh, also uh, speaking of song cycle specifically, I was uh, reading your reading your five part essay on the sound, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I saw that uh, I don't know if this is intentional or not, but your um, the cover of your Otadahan uh, mm-hmm. album uh, has you sitting in a chair with your legs crossed, and I was wondering if that was meant specifically to ape the uh, song cycle cover, or if that was just ah, a happy accident. Happy accident, yes. Um, I. I was well aware of the Van Dark Van Dyke Parks vibe by then, but um, no, that that was still a period where I, I wasn't thinking of uh, my look at all. So somebody else thought of that. I, I was I had a tunnel vision just to focus on on music and production at that point. I I didn't know how to relate relate it to other people beyond that. Besides just making the thing. So if I did something like that nowadays, it would be conscious. I miss Otarehan. Uh, it seemed like it from reading your, your post. Yeah, although it, the great thing was, uh, so my old Japanese band, um, we did, I thank God we were able to, uh, Huimin and I, my partner, we were able to visit Japan in 2019 in the summer, and we even like did a few shows, and I totally got to reconnect with all the, the guys, and thank goodness I was able to fit that in before uh, coronavirus struck, because that was... That was an awesome few weeks. Yeah, we, uh, my spouse and I, are both missing Germany. We haven't, we haven't gotten to go back since the kid was born, uh, mm. and it was such a big part of both of our lives. That the longer we're away from it, the more, the more we miss it. I'd love to visit Germany. We happily live there. We we have lived there, so we happily live there again. And there, there are certain advantages to living there. Uh, a lot of them are. Healthcare related. <laughs> and just general safety, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Never really felt, though I, I guess I shouldn't say I, I feel like I'm in danger. Even I, St. Louis is often fighting tooth and nail with Detroit for most violent city in America, but I've never felt too in danger here. Yeah, but I mean, it's also going to depend on, on where you go exactly. And, um, I don't know. I like the idea of being somewhere with less guns, just <laughs> as a general rule of thumb. Things relax a little bit, but that's just me. I grew up used to guns. Oh yeah, I mean, you're, I'm 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 coming from a, a Massachusetts perspective. You're you're coming from Alabama, so that's going to be a different uh, feeling there. Used to guns, but in that. a bad way. I I, I never. I, I was never comfortable with them, despite being used to them. Well, I think that's probably a healthy <laughs> reaction to have. Well, I think we're ju- just about getting to the end here. Uh, this has been, I, I always love doing these and, and really getting to know more about um, the kind of people out there listening to my music. And like I said, what, what could I be tapping into that that might be, uh, you know, a certain music fan might be really into? Uh, that's always a very interesting question to me, but... 
Yeah, what what uh what kind of thing might you be looking forward to with Niagara Moon in the uh in the future? Well, <clears throat> I personally really I like the album uh as, as a I like the album as a thing, as a unit and I always look forward specifically to albums. So Right? Aren't they underrated nowadays? Like uh I need them, I I think. I you know, I, I do like tracks. I, I like singles, I like I like EPs, but Really, for me, I, I like the story of an album. I like it as a as a narrative piece. Yeah, it's like a movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to that for Niagara Moon. I'm looking forward to maybe you building on whatever you're getting from your fans. I'm sure that you have fans who are saying, hey, this reminds me of that, and who might mm. be introducing you to new stuff. And you can't, case, yeah. you can't come away from that without being, without being affected by it, I, I think. I, I look forward to your sound building as your life builds. I that's a lovely thing to hear. Yeah, I uh, the sound is definitely evolving. Like everybody else, I got very busy during the pandemic with with recording new stuff. You know, with all that newfound time. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm definitely getting getting to the point where I'm really just going ahead and, and embracing my uh proclivities that might be kind of more unusual musically like i'm not uh you know i'm I'm at the point where i'm ready to just hone in on like my favorite things and just do them kind of unabashedly i feel i feel like the the time where i felt similar to other contemporary artists or like the same kind of sound or the same sort of setup i feel like i'm straying further and further from that but uh and in a way that hopefully might be interesting too more adventurous listeners i mean you you have such a kind of unique ear and like you said you you tend to to go back you know i don't know what happened in 1995 but you like to revisit a lot of older sounds and styles and it's this is uh i'm kind of i like the idea of reimagining it for a for a new age where are your where do you think your lyrics are going or are they going in a specific direction are you, are you, it does seem at least question. with the last couple of songs yeah, maybe even with the last album that uh, you're starting to look at at uh, you're, you're starting to be maybe more wistful than you mm. were earlier on, and that could just be a that could just be getting older. Yeah, I well, I I I think you're on to something with with wistful. I I've, I've never really thought too consciously about the role of lyrics in music and you know what tackling a theme really means. Uh, that was always kind of maybe for better or worse, undeve- underdeveloped for me. But now I'm like, no, it's got to be, it's got to be a big, cons- I can't do it lightly anymore. I feel like, it, you know, lyrics are one of the kind of key parts of telling a narrative. Like you said, albums are a great medium for a narrative. And I really want to, I want to embrace that more. I am also going to be more abstract. I do like wordplay and I, I want to have a lighter feeling, but I also want to tackle things that are important to me. But I think the way to, and I might be spilling the beans too much here, but uh, going forward, it's, I think I want to tackle things that are very personal and very important for me, but do it in a way where it's not uh, too ham-fisted either. It's it's this balance of, of playfulness and maybe wordplay and abstraction, but, you know, I, I want to I wanna go deep because it's if I'm going to put the time into make music and really invest in this kind of creative expression. I think it's about time. I really, you know, I have something to say at the same time. So I hope that answers your question a bit. 
Well, don't don't avoid don't avoid hamfisting too much. I, I think that sometimes sometimes I, I think people move away from earnestness because they are worried that it's hamfisted. Mm. Oh, I do. I want to. I want to keep earnestness. I, I do want to. I don't want to lose track of that either. On the nose might have been what I meant. I don't want to be too on the nose. Yeah. I, I have liked the degree to which you have um, interacted with and communicated with fans. Um, I don't. I don't know how much you feel like. Your music has become a collaboration, but uh, maybe it has on some level. If you're if you're chasing a sound that you know other people in your circle are chasing, you might be uh, playing to their ear more than you realize. Yeah, there is that. Yeah, I mean, what, uh, what David Bowie calls it, playing to the gallery, like kind of getting ahead of yourself and and being too conscious of making something that you just anticipate will please other people. Is this, I'm, I assume, what you're kind of tapping into there? Not maybe at the expense of pleasing yourself. Right. I, I, I don't, it's, it's, I think it's hard, speaking as someone who writes a lot, it's, it's hard when you know you're writing for other people, mm. not to uh, have them in mind as you write. Yeah. There's also writing to yourself. And I, I feel like when I write for myself specifically, it differs from when I write for others. I don't know that I would want to share... Mm. But I write for myself. No, I well, I think to to kind of sum it up, I do have certain people or a certain uh, audience in mind now, as I've been fortunate enough to slowly but steadily accrue some fans along the way, and it's it's definitely uh, a group of people that I was not aware of in the past that I'm certainly going to be receptive to now. But I can also happily say, when I get in the flow, I'm still. Uh, there's enough tunnel vision that I, I'm not too worried about that taking over. I think I can. St- I'm only capable of of uh, writing for myself. Maybe I, I can only go in a certain zone that's uh, personal to me. So hopefully that'll maybe serve me well with my uh, my upcoming stuff. Maybe it's just a matter of of uh, realizing that there is an audience out there for uh, the things you're writing for yourself. Yeah, yeah, and it's I I don't have to cater at all, but it's. It's make it for me, but then I've, I have the, the confidence in knowing there there are some other people out here that that are that are going to get this, and that's a, that is a lovely feeling. All right, well, I'm going to have to go in just a bit for the sake of having a, an ending similar to to others for this podcast. I guess I'll uh, your impression of the Niagara Moon sound in three words. I'm curious. I'll go ahead and say. Playful and inventive up front. So you have two. I'll just go with playful, inventive, and introspective. I'll take it. All right. This is a real treat. Fascinating kind of uh, cultural upbringing you've had. Um, so th- thanks for sharing all that. Yeah. I, I hope you continue to, to sleep better. Well, this at year. least continue to get the 28 hours a week. Who knows? Maybe maybe more to come. I, whatever works for you. I, I don't think that I would have the time to do a lot of the things I do if not for the lack of sleep. So, so I look at that silver lining. I, I don't sleep, but I also get to read and listen to more music and draw and write. That sounds pretty good then. That's it. You made it all the way to the end. Uh, yeah, these are just really fun for me. Really cool to to connect with like-minded individuals out there, people who really, uh, they're, they're into the sound. 
So that's going to be it for this week. If you've heard me ranting and raving about the quest for the sound, my little virtual storybook experience that will be opening up again uh, for people who, who missed the cutoff. Details to follow, but uh, that will be certainly something offered up again very soon. And uh, you can always check out the Niagara Moon Patreon if that is of interest to you. There is a ton going on in there, you know, if you're ever ready to take the dive. Um, otherwise, I'll be back next week with another uh, normal edition. We're going to be talking about homogenic, homogenic, uh, the, the Bjork album, the, the, you know, the, the cool Bjork album, homogenic. I'll, I'll see you then. Bye-bye.